Hello, America, and welcome to the Christmas Eve edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where I hope you are preparing for a blessed and special holiday weekend with your family. I know I am, uh, but we also wanted to give you a little dose of news, a little uh, something to scratch that news itch. Uh, before you head into the holidays with eggnog and family celebrations and oh, maybe even fruit cakes, though that's not my favorite. Well, uh, today we're going to do just something short and sweet from someone who got an early Christmas present from President Trump, and that is George Papadopoulos. We are bringing him on the show to talk about the extraordinary experience he had going through the Russia case and then finding out yesterday late in the evening, that the president had pardoned him along with two former Republican congressmen and several other uh, people, including four Blackwater security guards from a, an earlier Iraq incident. Um, some major pardons heading into the Christmas holiday, but this one for those who followed the Russia investigation, for those who uh, thought that um, George Papadopoulos was charged with a process crime because they couldn't find Russia collusion on him, uh, this pardon was particularly poignant. And so we're going to talk to George in just a second. He's coming on to share what it was like to find out, what he learned, what happened, uh, what he's going to do going forward. Uh, and uh, I just want to remind everyone that uh, we're going to go to commercial break and then we'll bring George in here. But before we do that, let's remind everybody the significance of the George Papadopoulos saga as part of the larger Russia collusion uh, story. So it was George Papadopoulos upon whom the FBI first opened a um, the crossfire hurricane investigation. Uh, they opened up on the allegation that he might be um, colluding with Russia to uh, obtain Hillary Clinton's hacked emails on behalf of the Trump campaign. The information, the impetus for opening it, if you believe. Uh, the FBI's documents and testimony was that a ambassador from Australia, a guy named Alexander Downer, who was the Aussie ambassador to London at the time and previously was a major donor to the Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton Foundation, the Clinton Foundation. He arranged for $25 million of Australian tax money to go to the Clinton Foundation a decade or two earlier uh, for AIDS initiatives in Africa. So he's a, a friend of the Clintons, a, a supporter of the Clintons, a financial backer of the Clintons. He walks in uh, or sends information belatedly in July of 2016 to the FBI, alleging that uh, back in May of 2016, he had this encounter at a wine bar with George Papadopoulos. And during that conversation, George Papadopoulos mentioned that he had been approached or had some discussions about Hillary Clinton emails that the Russians had hacked. And so based on that, they opened up what is known as a FAIR investigation, foreign influence investigation. And they uh, uh, predicated the entire crossfire hurricane. Once they got it opened on Papadopoulos, they really didn't do much investigating on Papadopoulos, and instead they focused on Carter Page, Paul Manafort, uh, Michael Flynn, uh, among others. And uh, yet the Papadopoulos investigation, which, by the way, uh, he had the um, FBI codename Typhoon, uh, they ran uh, one informant up against 
Papadopoulos and learned something very powerful. I believe it was in September of 2016. The informant is known to be Stefan Halper, and he was this professor. He's also the one who targeted Carter Page at the FBI's direction. And Stefan Halper uh, begins quizzing Papadopoulos in an encounter along with a, uh, a young woman uh, who went by the name of Azra, but she was really a U.S. government employee posing as a Turkish student for Halper, uh, that uh, you must have been uh, trying to get Hillary Clinton's emails and what's Trump doing it. And in that conversation, George Papadopoulos is recorded by the FBI. He tells unwittingly Halper, because he thinks Halper is a professor, not an informant, that in fact, he would never have done anything like hack or encourage or take the emails on Hillary Clinton because it would be unpatriotic. It would be illegal. It would be improper. So unwittingly, he tells the FBI flatly, we didn't do it and we wouldn't have done it because we would have considered it illegal. That is powerful information that should have led for the case to be shut down. Instead, they left Papadopoulos behind pivoted to the other figures and then came back to Papadopoulos and accused him of a process crime, making a false statement to the FBI. The judge who took the case and took Papadopoulos' plea bargain found it incredibly thin. I think he sentenced Papadopoulos to less than two weeks in prison. Didn't find it to be a very big crime. Uh, and many people have looked at the Papadopoulos prosecution as an abuse of power or an excessive prosecution, given uh, the uh, what we knew and that the targeting of him seemed suspect from the beginning. And so Donald Trump, on Wednesday night, two days before Christmas, made the decision to pardon him and open up a um, uh, his life again, remove that conviction from his record. And uh, that's why we're going to be talking to George Papadopoulos in just a second. So that brings you up to speed. We're going to have George on, and then we are going to let you get to your holiday festivities as quickly as possible on this Christmas Eve and one of the craziest years I've experienced in a long time. 2020. We'll be right back after this message from our advertisers and then our exclusive interview with George Papadopoulos. Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest on this Christmas Eve, somebody who got an early Christmas present, one would argue, from President Trump. George Papadopoulos is joining us, the newly pardoned George Papadopoulos. George, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. 
Um, let's just start with the big news that happened uh, uh, with the last 48 hours. President Trump uh, makes a decision to pardon you. I know that's something you wanted for a long time. A lot of people who supported you wanted that. What was that like? How did you find out? What was your first reaction and what it's been like? What has it been like for the last 48 hours? Well, uh, it was uh, completely unpredictable. Uh, I had absolutely no idea that the president was going to pardon me. I specifically stayed out of uh, the, the pardon uh, process uh, where because I never wanted my situation to be viewed as a so-called uh, political favor that might have uh, you know, uh, be used by the left against the president. So I've always been very uh, concrete about my uh, expectation that all of the files in my case or situation, if you want to call it that, would be declassified, released to the public and allow the public and the court of public opinion to come to the logical conclusion, which would hopefully have been a pardon. Uh, because, of course, uh, with my situation and the case and just the entire Russia scandal, it was, you know, it's a it's a, it's a global story. And uh, the court of public opinion really matters when the president pardons somebody optics matter and uh i was very happy that uh, he had been declassifying a lot of documents regarding my case including transcripts from uh spies in which i basically uh, refuted any so-called allegations of a collusion case and uh, possibly legal behavior of the fbi against me and i basically learned about being pardoned while i was watching tv with uh, my wife simona my phone started blowing up and uh, just got probably hundreds of messages from everyday Americans who have been following the story, who have been supporting me and my wife uh, through this uh, tumultuous period. And that made it ever more special to both of us. It had to be. And um, it uh, it's the sort of lightning bolt that can really correct a historical record. And I, let's, I want to remind our listeners, most of them are up to speed on Russia, but it was your name, in your case, that gave the FBI their supposed predicate to look at Crossfire Hurricane to open up on the idea that Donald Trump's campaign was colluding. And the information that they used to open up came from an Australian ambassador named Alexander Downer, who was a big Clinton Foundation donor earlier in his life. $25 million he arranged from the Australian government when he was foreign minister. He's the London ambassador for Australia, claims to have an encounter with you in, the, in a wine bar in London. And two months after that happens in July of 16, he goes or he sends word to the FBI through Australian intelligence channels that you made some inkling that you knew Russia had hacked Hillary Clinton's emails and you might have been trying to get your hands on it. That's sort of the gist of it. And based on that information, the FBI opens up what now becomes Crossfire Hurricane and this big, long, winding investigation that found no collusion at all. But very early on, they run uh, an uh, FBI informant against you and they find out the theory of the case is totally wrong. Why? Because you're talking to a professor, Stefan Halper, you don't know he's an FBI informant. And he starts quizzing you, were you guys at the Trump campaign trying to get Hillary's emails? And, and you say something to the effect, if I remember the transcript correctly, no, we wouldn't do something like that because it would be illegal. It would be traitorous. We wouldn't do that. And so the FBI knew you didn't do it and that unwittingly you had made a statement of innocence and they don't tell the court they don't close down your investigation like the evidence would warrant. You knew all along you had made those comments, but it took three plus years for the exculpatory evidence against you to come out. What was it like waiting for the truth, what you knew to be the truth, to be validated by the declassifications we've seen? 
Well, uh, let's let's start with uh, Alexander Downer. Um, and uh, this this meeting with Alexander Downer was uh, portrayed in the New York Times as a uh, chance meeting of two guys meeting in a bar, drunk, uh, and uh, just talking about you know nonsense. Right. And uh, there's nothing actually there's nothing actually further from the truth than that. Uh, the meeting with Alexander Downer. Uh, was organized in very, what I believe were meticulous uh, steps, uh, including uh, intermediaries of at least two foreign governments and uh, potentially the U.S. government. Uh, During this meeting, uh, I uh, thought and uh, believed that Alexander Downer was there to record me, spy on me. Uh, He was pulling his phone out and pointing it at me at least on four different occasions, asking me pointed questions about not the U.S.-Australia relationship, but actually about uh, uh, my uh, ties to the Energy Consortium in uh, Cyprus and Israel, uh, potential lobbying. And uh, why that was so interesting and bizarre is because during the Kevin Kleinsmith uh, plea agreement that was released, John Durham presented facts that we did not know up until that plea agreement. Yeah, and that great point. That the, enti- that the entire case was so-called predicated on potential FARA violations, nothing else. And uh, when Downer was questioning me the way he was about, uh, you know, potential uh, lobbying or connections to, uh, you know, these uh, high-profile consortiums that were in a very sensitive part of the world, that's not something normal of an Australian diplomat to be talking to an American in a London bar about while overtly recording or asking questions. And then, of course, uh, you know, trying to extract information, which I believe, and I think uh, the evidence is starting to point to it, a uh, a potential conspiracy with the other key character, Joseph Mipsud, where, who dropped the information about Russia and Hillary in my lap just uh, 10 days or so before I met with Alexander Downer. So the, um, the, uh, the notion that uh, the New York Times uh, narrative would be correct and would be ironclad and would have remained as long as it did uh, is shocking to me. And every single week that passes and uh, we continue to get this declassified information out there, it just really shows a completely different picture than was presented to the American public by the mainstream media. Yeah, almost anything, almost all the original stories about collusion now have been completely unmasked as false. Let's remind people how the wine bar meeting really happened. You didn't request it. It didn't happen. Happen chance. Describe to folks how you showed up at the bar to meet Alexander Downer. Yes, and that's why the uh, chronology of my uh, my uh, bizarre London adventure is so critical, and why I believe the months of March and April 2016 are actually paramount to uh, understanding the origins and um, other key facts about how this entire thing started, whether it was illegal or not. Uh, after I leave Ben Carson's campaign, I'm working for a company named the London Center for International Law Practice. This is a company that uh, recruited me randomly, possibly not randomly, to work for them right before I joined Ben Carson's campaign. And then again, after I leave Ben Carson's campaign, and uh, they introduced me to uh, this individual, Joseph Mipsud, who is at, basically at the epicenter of uh, the entire Russia uh, hoax in March and April. This individual on April 26th drops uh, information in my lap unsolicited over brunch in a five-star hotel in London that the uh, Russians uh, have Hillary's emails. Not the typical 
environment you would actually discuss a so-called uh, conspiracy with somebody, but that's where it happens. And uh, shortly thereafter, approximately on May 1st, so about five days after this information was dropped in my lap, uh, the U.S. government uh, decides that they want to meet with me, including uh, two attaches of the U.S. Uh, embassy, Gregory Baker and Terrence Dudley. Terrence Dudley These was both uh, are in uh, London, Navy right? Attaché. We're still in London at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, we're still in London, and Terrence Dudley was uh, the U.S. Navy attaché at the time, and Gregory Baker uh, was uh, following him along uh, meeting with me. So the the notion that, uh, you know, this meeting with Downer was requested by me is false. I never requested this meeting. The Australian government had met with me two times before uh, Joseph Mipsa dropped the information in my lap. They met with me after Joseph Mipsa dropped the information in my lap. The U.S. government met with me, and then Alexander Downer met with me. So the entire sequence of events uh, running up to this uh, extremely bizarre meeting with Alexander Downer uh, seems to have been very orchestrated, arranged, premeditated, um, and uh, potentially, uh, you know, involving uh, the Five-Eyed uh, Intelligence uh, Alliance in order to circumvent uh, U.S. Uh, law when targeting an American abroad. Now, it's important to remind folks because uh, we still don't know the genesis or contents of this, but a couple of days before Downer approached you in the bar, and I think that was May 10th, is that correct? May 10th, 2016 is when I met uh, Downer and, uh, yes. Right. We know two days earlier from text messages and other declassified information, the head of FBI counterintelligence, the boss for Peter Strzok, was, went to London for some form of an intelligence meeting, which, based on his answers to Congress, had something to do with Russia in collusion, but he can't talk about it. So he's there two days before, and then you walk into the wine bar. I want to nail this down for people who don't know the details as well as you and I. Uh, when you go to the wine bar, were you expecting to meet someone there? So I, uh, so the Australian government had reached out to me by mid-April 2016, which was extremely bizarre, uh, considering that uh, candidate Donald Trump never even uttered the word Australia once. I had absolutely no connections whatsoever to Australia, and uh, the Australian government uh, should not have. There was no absolutely no reason to have been reaching out to meet with a, a staffer on a campaign three different times within. Three, a three-week period leading up to this uh, meeting with Alexander Downer. So during that fateful meeting, I was expecting to meet Alexander Downer, um, but I was expecting to simply uh, hear his thoughts on the U.S.-Australia relationship. But, of course, that's not what uh, the purpose of that meeting no, was. No, he wanted to quiz you about the stuff that had been planted with you a month earlier uh, with Mifsud, that this idea that the Russians had something. So the Australian government set in motion this meeting. You didn't request it, correct? No, absolutely not. Uh, and In fact, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the Australian government reached out to me by mid-April 2016 yeah. uh, and uh, started to meet with me on three different occasions between April 15th and May 10th, 2016. Amazing. Amazing. We now, so yeah. somebody put that in motion, whether it was the FBI, the CIA, a private entity, 
the uh, another foreign government, MI6, Britain, uh, whoever ran, it has all the hallmarks of an intelligence operation. And we don't know yet whether that was CIA, FBI, MI6, or maybe even private people calling in chits, right? There are a lot of private intelligence uh, operatives that show up in this um, uh, network over the, over the course of three years. But somebody set that in motion. And then let's fast forward to the other, I think, the most seminal moment. In um, August, September, you get an invite to go to a Cambridge event. Now we're back in London again. And that comes from a well-known or now well-established FBI informant named Stefan Halper. Talk about how you end up in the presence of Stefan Halper and Azra Turk. Yes, uh, the infamous uh, uh, Stefan Halper and his uh, so-called assistant. In uh, September of 2016, I'm back in the U.S., um, and I receive a, an, an email out of the blue from uh, Stefan Halper uh, re- regarding uh, a paper that he wanted me to write on the Energy Consortium in Israel and Cyprus. And that's why I wanted to make sure that the listeners understood that Downer was was very interested in that particular topic just months before Downer uh, sure. Halper messaged me. And, uh, I, you know, I Googled him. I had never heard of him, but, you know, he looked legitimate. At that time in my life, I was, uh, in, I was working with think tanks, uh, including the Hudson Institute. So, uh, speaking at various uh, policy and energy conferences, commercial conferences. So to get paid $3,000 to write an academic report and uh, present it was in my business model at the time. So there was nothing suspicious about that. I Googled him. He seemed to be, uh, the chairman of, uh, I think, American Studies at Cambridge. But uh, little did I know that uh, he was very well connected to both MI6 and the CIA. And uh, he was uh, being run, apparently, by the FBI, which is still not clear. Of course, the FBI was involved with him. But um, the assistant who he introduced to me, or I should say she met with me first, and then I was introduced to help her, is still an unknown individual, the New York Times. Uh, never uh, categorically stated that she was FBI. They, in a in a report about her, they said that she was some sort of government uh, right. agent, a government employee. Right. Uh, she uh, was, in my estimation, uh, and what I believe that she portrayed herself as, was a Turkish national, a very heavy act. And um, it didn't make any sense that I would be meeting with this uh, person in a bar. Uh, before I was supposed to meet with uh, Stefan Halper. She was very flirtatious, uh, basically trying to get me to repeat uh, the nonsense and the, and the rumors uh, that uh, Mifsud had planted in my mind uh, months ago. I basically laughed her off. And um, after meeting with her, Halper begins to essentially castigate me about my viewpoints on Turkey and other uh, topics that he was apparently paying me to discuss. So, the it was a very uh, strange uh, situation, a very strange meeting, but uh, it almost mimicked the meeting I had with Downer just months before that, and that's exactly why I don't think that, uh, these were coincidence meetings. I think uh, they were very orchestrated, and if the FBI was running helper, I'm not surprised if uh, Downer was involved uh, as well with one of the U.S. or foreign intelligence services himself. All right. So, George, the seminal moment in this comes when uh, Stefan Halper walks into the room and he starts to pump you for some information. It's the moment where a career FBI agent should have said, you know what? 
let's drop this thing. It's not what we think it is. Stefan Halper comes in and said, hey, were you guys at the Trump campaign you trying to get Hillary Clinton's emails from Russia? Something to that effect. Remind people what the transcript, what you remember telling Halper back when he was fishing around trying to catch you colluding with Russia. What did you tell him? Yes. So, uh, and so everybody understands I had absolutely no idea that this person was some sort of informant or that he was recording my uh, conversations. Right. Um, and I... And I told him that uh, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have nothing to do with Russia, and neither does the campaign. And a simple Google search or a or a short, uh, easy uh, security, um, uh, you know, briefing on me would have completely uh, explained to career FBI officials that Papadopoulos has never even traveled to Russia, let alone have any Russian contacts that would have made any sense uh, to even target him for a Russia investigation. Yeah. Kind of hard to clue if you aren't talking I, to Russians. I mean that, and that's why this is such a massive, uh, uh, you know, in my in my opinion, I think many would agree a scandal because the Russians don't seem to exist in this story. Everybody right. who's in this story uh, seems to be connected to either private uh, Western intelligence uh, firms or Western governments uh, with high level connections to uh, the U.S. intelligence agencies. And Great Britain too. And yes, and and I'm glad you brought up Great Britain because just uh, hours. After I told Stefan Halper that I have no idea what you're talking about and anything you're talking about is treason, that's when the British Ministry of Foreign Affairs rolled out the red carpet for me to meet with them in London, where who knows why they were trying to meet with me and uh, record me and on behalf of who and what. So there's uh, a lot that um, that has yet to be uh, disclosed regarding the British and uh, some foreign governments in the story. But uh, I know that uh, Richard Grinnell, when he was acting DNI, uh, declassified some of the transcript with, with Halper. And uh, during this uh, meeting with Halper, apparently he is the one who's discussing his connections to Russian intelligence. He's the one who's discussing his uh, ties to uh, other intelligence outfits. And I'm sitting there basically enjoying my gin and tonic and nodding my head. Yeah. So you tell <laughs> Stefan Halper. Not, not that you knew it, but he was the FBI informant that we wouldn't do that. It would be illegal. It's not something that the Trump campaign would do. That should have been a big stop moment. And instead, they just ignored you for a while and tried to find some other Trump campaign people to pursue. Mike Flynn, uh, Carter Page, uh, many others that they started to pursue. Paul Manafort. Really remarkable. Now, yeah. uh, the, we, we, we now know, you know, uh, that this whole dynamic we still need more declassifications to figure out the who what and when but we do know sort of what went on in general i want to go to one other thing because it just came out the other day and these are text messages declassified by attorney general Barr just before he left office today and they show that the fbi in january of 2017 had an audio tape recording of a conversation you had with a fellow american a news executive at Fox News. And it, that stands out for two reasons, because to this date, we believe that um, the FBI and the Justice Department have told the Congress repeatedly, there was never a FISA warrant on you. There was never a Title III phone tap warrant on you. So first off, tell us who you were talking to uh, at Fox News at that moment. Who, who was the executive? Yes. Uh, so the, the executive was John Moody. Uh, who I think, I can't remember his exact title, but some sort of VP position at Fox. And 
uh, I know that his office was uh, situated right next to Rupert Murdoch. So I think he was a pretty high-level official over at Fox at the time. And John and I uh, made contact uh, in July of 2016. He was interested in the campaign. Uh, We stayed in touch. We met in his office two or three times, had some phone calls. Um, and apparently we had a phone call of some nature in uh, early January uh, before the FBI interviewed me, I think at the end of January, where they're listening in on this phone call of mine with an Amer- an, another American. And uh, basically, if I remember correctly, the transcript of Peter Strzok is saying that Moody uh, is trying to tip him off or has tipped him off about something or, or whatnot. And yeah, just, some suggesting uh, that there was some show. private background uh, check going going on. <clears throat> People were checking into your background a few months back, right? That's what the text yeah, message says. I think that's exactly, yes, something along those lines. And uh, it's uh, very strange that uh, there was actually no Title I uh, warrant. There was, as, as far as we know, no FISA. And uh, the only other option would be if somebody was recording it uh, voluntarily, which I don't believe, but those are the only three options. For this to have happened in a somewhat legal fashion. Now, there's another option that we ought to consider, right? Which is that the FBI, which we saw in the text messages, were frustrated. There are text messages just that predate this by a few days where the FBI is saying they can't get a FISA on you or that justice won't authorize a FISA on you, probably because there was no basis for illegality to look at. But they're frustrated. One possibility is someone in the U.S. intelligence community asked a foreign-friendly government to listen in and give the transcript. That's a possible end run around the Constitution that we all ought to explore. We don't know, but it's another possibility beyond the ones that you've described that could be there. And I think all of us in the news media, all, all of those in congressional oversight, you yourself, we ought to demand answers. How did the FBI get an audio transcript or audio recording of a conversation between two Americans when there was no, by their own admission, warrant to capture such conversations? That's something that in 2021 we ought to all set out to, to find out. Absolutely. And uh, that, that uh, theory, I think, is uh, very sound because uh, my involvement Uh, in uh, the Trump campaign was uh, bizarre for the key reason that so many of these foreign governments, including U.S. allies, just continued to want to make me Mr. Popular, Uh, take me out for drinks, dinners, meetings at embassies, at Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, travel, uh, you know, to various foreign capitals. So it would make complete sense that if these foreign governments were tasked to do some sort of uh, surveillance on me, which I think... uh, that seems to be a very uh, logical uh, conclusion that they might have been involved in this uh, tap of of a phone call with another American because they had absolutely no business to do it. We don't know, but we certainly have a good reason to ask that question. Somehow we need to find out why Peter Strzok was getting information from an audio recording for which we can't find, at least in the current records and the current testimony, any authorization for. I think that's one of the great mysteries we set out to solve in 2021, George, because I think now that your pardons occurred, the key now is to get all the rest of the facts out about what happened to you so that no other American citizen goes through the sort of things that you and Mike Flynn and Carter Page went through over three very, very tortuous years. Um, I want to wrap things up because I know you got to get ready for Christmas. I got to get ready for Christmas. I want to um, ask this last question. As you look back now, 
30,000 feet, all that's happened to you, uh, all that you've learned, all of the twists and turns. What is the biggest lesson that Americans should take from the Russia collusion episode as we now know it? And uh, what are you going to take from it personally? What does it inspire you to do next in your life? Yes, I think um, looking back at the situation and uh, not fully comprehending what was going on around me until these files were declassified, it's that um, that all Americans, both on the left, the center, and the right, should uh, never uh, be applauding or happy that unlawful surveillance and uh, abuses created against your fellow American, because it happened to a Republican presidential campaign in 2016. It could happen to a Democrat in 2022, 2024, and moving forward. We cannot allow the U.S. intelligence community to run amok to uh, obtain surveillance, surveillance-less warrants against Americans, like they did Carter Page and possibly others, to wiretap and to essentially manufacture uh, hoaxes to undermine and sabotage rival presidential campaigns because they do not appreciate a particular candidate or his or her viewpoints. Mm. That's what I think the key takeaway should be for all Mm. Americans, because this is an American story. This is not a partisan story. And I've always tried to make that point in any uh, TV or in a radio interview I've ever given. Secondly, uh, regarding moving forward, I'm uh, very uh, happy and uh, proud to be uh, with the Newsmax family. It's an incredible uh, channel. Uh, continuing to uh, expose what happened in 2016, because what happened in 2016, John, was not simp- was not an isolated event. It actually impacted not only the last four years of everyday American lives, but the entire Trump administration and the 2020 election, and might possibly impact 2022 and 2024. Moving forward, uh, I'm uh, very in a very great position. I'm uh, uh, joined uh, the Newsmax family as a contributor. It's a great uh, channel. They're doing incredible work, uh, and I'm uh, very happily married uh, to my wife Simona. Simona, we're sure. Very I had the pleasure of meeting. Absolutely, absolutely, and I'm very happy that uh, she's going to be in some very uh, large uh, Hollywood productions moving forward uh, that she'll probably disclose at some point in the near future. Wonderful. And uh, just continue and just continuing to stay involved politically, uh, like every American citizen should, and uh, assuring that uh, this story gets out there. It uh, impacts the uh, the Biden administration in a negative way, that, as it should. And just seeing where John Durham as a special counsel goes with. Uh, some of the facts that we've discussed during this interview, because yeah. him being appointed a special counsel is really a big deal that has not been uh, quite understood yet by the mainstream media. Yep. No, it is the big, big story on this particular front uh, to watch in 2021. Well, George, I want to thank you first. Congratulations on the pardon. I want to wish you and Simona a very blessed and Merry Christmas. Uh, happy start to your 2021 new year. And uh, I'm sure we're going to stay in touch with you because there's so much more to learn on Russia collusion. We're we're not done getting the truth on this incredible story. Absolutely, John. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Uh, have a wonderful 2021. And uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you very soon. Thank you so much again. Thank you, George. Folks, you've been listening to George Papadopoulos, who just got a pardon from President Trump earlier this week. Uh, we're going to come back in a few seconds to wrap up the day and get ready, well, for Christmas, as we should be doing. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, 
Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the Christmas edition of John Solomon Reports from my family, from my wife, Judy, my son, Josh, the entire Solomon family, the entire Just the New staff. I want to wish your family a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a blessed New Year. I hope this next week provides valuable time for you and your family to enjoy each other, to celebrate all that is still good with America, with your family, even in a difficult year like 2020 has been with COVID and all the other things that have happened. Uh, We still have so much more to be thankful for than we have to be angry at. And I hope this holiday season allows you to celebrate the little things in lives that make us tick, that makes our um, life so valuable, that makes being an American something to be so proud of. Um, I thank you for supporting Just the News and reading us and listening to this podcast. And I hope in 20. 21, we can deliver even more news, more context, more big interviews, the sort of things that you can trust on your own to um, appreciate. So we'll be back with you soon uh, and uh, look forward to uh, a new uh, week next week, post-Christmas, when we'll have some new editions of John Solomon Reports. Until then, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.